This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. This is Janine Kernoff, co-author of Everyday Business Storytelling. Create, simplify, and adapt a visual narrative for any audience. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Janine Kernoff to talk about the book she is co-authored with her sister, Lee Lazarus, Everyday Business Storytelling, Create, Simplify, and Adapt a Visual Narrative for Any Audience, published by Wiley. Janine Kernoff is the co-founder and chief innovation officer at The Presentation Company, a business communications training firm that teaches innovative visual storytelling techniques to some of the world's top brands like Facebook, Nestle, Medtronic, Marriott, Accenture, and McDonald's. She is an accomplished keynote speaker and contributes her expertise to publications such as Forbes, Training Industry, and Inc. Magazines. Prior to founding the presentation company, Janine worked for Yahoo in sales training and later as an on-camera web host where she interviewed some of Silicon Valley's top CEOs, market strategists, and Hollywood celebrities. She received her MBA in international business from the Monterey Institute of International Studies and, interesting fact, she is fluent in Italian and Spanish. Janine, congratulations on everyday business storytelling and bienvenido to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me, Douglas. So fun to be here. Wow, that that bio, that was quite quite impressive, right? Who is that person? Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I live up to that. So thank you for having me. It's such well, an honor to be well, here. Well, pressure's on. And your sister, Lee, your sister and co-author, is Correct. also your business partner, right? Yes, and also my best friend. It's kind of crazy. Wow. Yes, we started a business 20 years ago, and we haven't killed each other since, or yet, I should say. Uh-huh. And yes, we've been providing storytelling training to these big enterprise companies for years, and now we get to bottle it up in our book. That is so, so interesting. I just don't know of many sisters, or it's just more, it seems like it's more rare for two sisters to run a business together. 
I know. It's crazy. But I love it. I don't know any different. I truly oh, okay. don't know any different. Yeah. But now, uh, are you the... Years. Your uh, the birth order was your older, right? <laughs> yeah. So we sound so, alike. If she was here, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. We, okay. Our parents still can't. Um, it's we're like twenty two months apart. It's very oh, wow. very subtle. But since you're older, you do. No, I'm younger. I'm the younger one. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I just boss her around. (laughs) Oh, I hope Lee didn't hear that. I don't want to put any ideas in her head because my older brothers, they're still telling me what to do. So I wanted to just let you know that I actually bought another copy of this book and it arrived today. It's for my content director. He works on, you know, naturally on a lot of communications and occasionally we're called on to help with uh, presentations for clients. And I I just, I I loved it. And listeners are going to be able to win a copy of the book. And at the end of the interview, we're going to tell you exactly how you can win it. Oh, that's right. We're going to make them wait. We have the little carrot dangling. Yes. Yes. It'll be worth it. I promise. So, uh, Janine, this is a beautifully laid out book. It is extremely well designed, and uh, it's eight by eight inches, which is uh, very rare for a business book. It's a really high quality paper uh, stock that it's printed on. And on the other hand, it kind of had to be that way. <laughs> because yes, we so, fought very hard for yeah, that size. <laughs> so much of the book is visual. I mean, even in the subtitle, it's you talk about uh, a visual narrative. So it's extremely visual uh, experience reading the book. And that's why there's not an audio version of this book. I'm sorry to break it to the listener, but <laughs> you, you really have to be able to look through and see how everything is laid out. But the reason I mention that is because uh, we're going to talk about some of the concepts. We won't really it it won't do it justice to try to talk about how something's laid out on a page. I think they'll, people will still get that. So, uh, just to let everybody uh, know. So, I'd like to read a little bit from the very first pages and set the stage here, and then uh, get into it. Everybody loves a good story because we're human, but many of us find it really hard to invite storytelling into our everyday business lives. Why? Because we're not Hollywood screenwriters or advertising gurus, at least most of us aren't. We're business people who must present both internally and externally, up, across, and down the organization. And most of the time, we have to present fairly unsexy content. You know, the quarterly business review, a product update, a change management initiative, and so on. To the majority of us, it's not obvious how to authentically incorporate storytelling into our daily work lives. Instead... We resort to what we do know. We leverage existing content for a quick fix. We grab our latest slide deck that we or our coworker built as a starting point, and from there we cobble together slides. We load up on bulleted text. We pile in every chart we can find. We even add in some pretty slides that we found on the corporate portal from the marketing team. We have a very technical term for this type of incoherent hodgepodge communication. We call it a Franken-deck. You've seen them. Frank and Dex show up in our meetings and flood our inbox, and the results can be scary. Your audience is left confused. There's no clear message or call to action. And ultimately, you've missed an opportunity to influence a decision and drive business forward. What if there was a simple, repeatable, practical storytelling approach that could help you and your team craft a narrative with a visual strategy to support it? What if you had an easy-to-follow framework that let you kickstart your story every single time? This is what we've been building for two decades. Storytelling that is second nature for business communication, both verbally and visually. No scrambling, no quick fix, no frankindex. 
Yes, we understand the resistance. We hear you. You're busy. You have no time. You present to complicated audiences with diverse needs. Your boss doesn't have patience for a story with a big reveal. She just needs you to produce three slides for her to present to her manager. Oh, and you've just been told by the brand police within your organization to use specific assets like defined templates and graphics. We get it. We feel your pain because we too have been there, and that's precisely why we wrote this book. So, Janine Kernoff, let me ask a question that you probably don't want to answer, but you may get all the time. What do two sisters from Silicon Valley know about business storytelling? Well, first of all, I love listening to you read from my book. I, I just, I haven't had that. It, it's oh. wonderful. So thank you. It was such a compliment. And, oh. and your voice intonation really just, it brought it to life. You know, we have, uh, so we've had this business for 20 years. We've been helping big brands like Nestle, Facebook, HP, Medtronic, you know, teams uh, within those kinds of organizations use storytelling to communicate better. Prior to that, my sister and I, who are also business partners, grew up in Silicon Valley, um, Bay Area. That's kind of, you know, home for us. And I got started at Yahoo, as you said in the opening, and I just saw the craziness that was happening. These Frankendex would show up because nobody knew how to do it differently. And I think a lot of us in business are so crunched for time. I mean, whether this was 20 years ago or today, it's the same, right? We're, we're short on time and we cobble. We do just as you described. And so it was really important for us to write a book that was going to finally demystify this fluffy concept of storytelling. And I yeah. say that with love because I think a lot of us do in business think of storytelling as this sort of fluffy, mystical, unattainable thing that Hollywood uses when they write scripts, right? That yes. like other people do. And like, why would me, why would a product manager or a engineer or anybody in business, a salesperson, like how and why would I use storytelling? That's not what I do in my day job. And mm -hmm. we said, uh-uh. Everybody can benefit from storytelling, but a lot of us don't know how to begin or where to begin. And so part of our mission, and you can see it early on in the book, is to sort of unfluff the fluffiness of storytelling yes. and introduce some brain science that truly backs the fact that storytelling works when you, you wrap your data in a story. And then from there, we arm you with a very simple framework to make it easy. Mm. Part one, so the listener knows, is titled Once and for All. Let's unfluff the reputation of business storytelling. <laughs> I mean, so you were anticipating what my perception is. Right. We wrote it for, for that mindset. It's like, hmm, the, the resistance. I could feel it, right? Yeah, well, so we the fluffy thing. It. But also, uh, it, I still struggle with exactly how to do storytelling because for me, it it just for it reminds me sometimes of diagramming sentences in English class in elementary school. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, no, I, I got that wrong. No, I got that right. Then that's not the case with your approach, and we're going to talk about that. But you write in that section, many business people don't see storytelling as something that is going to be worth their time. It sounds fluffy. <laughs> fluffy is the word we hear most. And so before we learn how to actually construct a business story, let's once and for all unfluff the reputation of business storytelling. <laughs> and in the pages that follow, there's all kinds of great science. So please uh, help us unfluff this storytelling. I think this would be enormously helpful for listeners who are trying to introduce this. But let me just mention something else. Um, 
I often urge listeners and particularly marketers to be careful about some of the words they use around civilians. And when I say civilians, I mean people outside the marketing department. And one of those words is storytelling. They should use storytelling. It, it really is a, a secret sauce. It's enormously powerful. But I think that people need to be careful using that term uh, around people that don't may, may not have read your book. But talk about what you normally talk about when you're trying to unfluff this this storytelling. Yeah. yeah, well, so I when I think of storytelling, it's actually something we all do every day. And it's what we've been doing every day for thousands of years, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of the human DNA. It's how we connect. And if we go back to the beginning of time when we were drawing on a cave wall of someone's hunting adventure, we humans have always had a need to share stories with each other. And we do this as a way to create trust, community, and connection. And so if you think about storytelling in the context of our business lives, and you've got the rise of social media and the ability to learn about any company with just a quick Google search, we're evaluating brands the way we evaluate each other, right? And like a trusted friend, I think we're looking at brands to do the right thing and to align with our values and support what's important to us. So we're, we as humans are also looking for that trust community and connection, even in the brands we choose. And so I think... And part of why we wrote the book is like the stories we tell in business are critical in an age now where trust is this really important connection point to customers, to partners, to coworkers, just navigating the day to day. And so I, I truly believe that storytelling creates that speed of trust that that forges like a deeper, more connected relationship. And isn't that what we all want? You know, mm-hmm. more connected, deeper relationships, whether that's with a customer and a brand or it's with a coworker or, or a customer. Well, and it's great that you start out with all this brain science explanation in just a very few uh, pages. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about maybe how the stories help the left and the right brain uh, work together. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in the world of business, we're all inundated with data. And in our a lot of our workshops, when we, when we deliver them, I mean, the, the, the slides that people are showing with the Eye data, charts. right? Yeah. It's crazy. And we kind of have fun with it because we're like, we all do it, right? And the challenge with that is when you data dump or you firehose with data, it's just noise. And your audience is like, what do you want me to know or do, right? First of mm-hmm. all, you're making them work very hard, which an audience member does not like, especially senior executives. It's like they need you to net it out. And and so I think there's this been this sense of, well, if I have a lot of data, then like I look credible. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to show and the brain science really backs it up is, no, no, you can still have your data, but you need to wrap it in a story. You need to organize your ideas and your data in a narrative with a very thoughtful structure. And then that is what is going to be the magic, right? When you take your data and wrap it in a story, that's where you trigger the left and the right brain. And that's where, in, in I believe it's chapter one, we spent some time meeting some really amazing brain scientists that, that have done all the legwork to, to suggest that when you ignite both your left and your right brain, it's it's really a special sweet spot. And most of us are mostly igniting the left brain in our business lives, right? We're, we're leading with data. Right, right. But if and we just bring in the story, we're going to have a, a greater chance of being heard. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, you explain that data, while sometimes overused, and that business communication is really left brain obsessed these days, data is not the villain. Um, so can, let's talk about the word insight. How would you describe what a real insight is. 
I think that term may mean different yeah. things to different people. Sure. I mean, it, insights come when you've carefully studied and analyzed the data, right? Data is just data. It's just a bunch of metrics. But it's the what the drawing of the conclusions that are coming from the data that lead to insights. So I, for me, and I love Gary Klein's definition of this, and we cite him in the book, uh, his book, Seeing What Others Don't, it's really about discovery. Like what are you discovering in your data that can lead to insights? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's seeing connections or contradictions or inconsistencies in the data or coincidences or unexpected things. So that's where I think a lot of us get lazy because we get access to a lot of data, but we don't always do something with the data. We don't draw the insights out of the data. And that's where I think storytelling can come, come into play because the story helps build this narrative flow. And I, what I love about, you know, when you bring in data is it, it only bolsters your story. It only makes it stronger. Mm-hmm. But you're leading with the narrative first, not the data first. And I think a lot of us fall prey to like data dumping first because we feel like, well, no, I look good now. I've got all this, th- these metrics. Yeah. But we lose sight of the narrative we're trying to tell. So you got to bring the two together. It's like have your cake and eat it too. Y- your audience will, will greatly um, appreciate it and their left and right brain will be ignited, which we know is... Um, it's a good thing. It leads to decision-making. Yes. His book that you mentioned is uh, Gary Klein, Seeing What Others Don't. And yeah, he said, insights are discoveries based on analysis and interpretation of data. Insights change how we understand an issue and transform our thinking about ways to create business value. And insights shift us toward a new and better story. Don't take Janine's word for it. That's what Gary Klein wrote. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I think he does a good job at defining it because otherwise it, it does seem sort of, hmm, you know, mysterious. Yeah. It looks like an interesting book. Um, so let's get started with some of the fundamentals of, of business storytelling. And I've just got to say, to my great relief, one need not understand the 17 stages of the Joseph Campbell <laughs> Hero's Journey monomyth <laughs> often mentioned in business storytelling books. I didn't find that anywhere in your book. So... <laughs> Props to you. Yay. No, that was our goal. That was our intention. We want to make this easy. Nobody wants a 12-step process. We get it, especially salespeople. They're on their go. They're busy. So this is really simple fundamentals. Uh, a lot of us know this already. The way it gets exciting is when you layer it on and look at it in the context of real scenarios that we face every day in business. So let's walk through this much simpler framework. And I should add, it's so simple that even a podcast host can understand it. I feel like this might actually stick with me. You, you write about how every great story has four things, setting, characters, conflict, and resolution. Setting, characters, conflict, and resolution. We're going to spend just a little bit of time on these, if that's all right. Let's start with the setting, the setting, which again, kind of like an insight, probably means different things to different people. You can probably clear up some of this. But you write that one way to look at a, a setting is as a, a mini education that shines the spotlight on those issues that you and hopefully your audience care about solving. So when you say settings, can you say more about what that means and, and what makes for more effective settings in business storytelling? Yeah, this is great. I think the setting is it's context. It's letting everybody understand, okay, I get it. You hear me, you see me. And a lot of us in business in particular, we rush through the setting or we skip it all together. And this is where you can bring in those data and insights, right? To help establish trends and build that critical focus for audience. I, I just think it gets everybody on the same page. It, like I think of the setting of a story as 
your audience is nodding their head. And when we think about setting and traditional storytelling, you're thinking place, physical location. That's different in business, right? The setting in a business narrative is often sort of the what happened since the last meeting or what what do we need to know about how consumers are doing X, Y, Z. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't even have to be visual. I mean, it can be verbal. Mm -hmm. The setting of a story can be quick. It can be 30 seconds. I've seen some settings in business narratives, you know, go up to 10 minutes because there's a lot of insights to share. But it's critical. I think it's critical and often forgotten, and I see this most notably in emails. How many emails do we all get Mm. where there's no context, and they jump right in to an ask, and you're like, wait, what? I have no idea what I need. There's no setting. There's no context. So it's critical. Critical ingredient. At the end of the book, you wrote about how you've done so many of these workshops over the years, and people, including this reader... I didn't go through the workshop, but I read it and I I just cringed. Every example you had in here, I'm like, oh man, I've I've not only seen that, I'm sure I've done it wrong that way. And so there was what I was going to say was at the at one part in the book, uh, Janine and her sister have a whole chapter about how to do better email messages using a storytelling structure, which we're right in the middle of. So yeah, very very true. So let's go to the next one. Uh, characters, okay? Yes. And I'm sure everyone now has just envisioned a costume character uh, <laughs> at Disneyland or something like that. Now, the listener may be thinking, come on, I'm not a Hollywood screenwriter. I'm an engineer, Janine, or I'm a data scientist or a sales associate or a marketing specialist. I'm actually reading this from the book. <laughs> Break this down for us to see where characters fit into everyone's uh, business world. Yeah, so characters are key, and I know it, it does. It's like a trigger word for a lot of us in business because we think, "Uh, uh-uh, that is so awkward." I am not introducing characters in a business narrative. Now, we talk in our workshops and in the book. Like, there's three different ways to introduce characters. You can have a named character like me, Douglas, right, and we get to know you personally. Also, you can introduce an unnamed character like consumers or our team or millennials. You know, they're broad. We don't get to know them personally, mm-hmm. or you can be a character and you can share a personal story. It doesn't matter how you introduce them. There isn't a right or wrong way. It's about introducing characters because characters add a human element. They help us relate. They fire up that right brain where we use emotion and imagination and we feel. And it's that emotional element that is key. And it really sends a signal to your audience, whether they're reading that email or they're sitting in that virtual room or or the physical room, that you get them, that you understand them and what they're going through. So again, just like setting, doesn't need to be drawn out, doesn't need to take up a lot of time. But at the end of the day, the products we consume are consumed by humans, and we need to acknowledge them to round out the story. Mm -hmm. Now, to my favorite part of the framework and the book. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to you know, make the other chapters feel bad, but this is the one that really got me going. Conflict. <laughs> you, you write that to really get your audience to care, you need to up the ante. You must show that something is happening to your characters. You need conflict. And uh, you, you go on to write that conflict is a major differentiator between super exciting and utterly forgettable. And you also write, lack of conflict in traditional storytelling is boring, but conflict-less business storytelling is not only boring, it's a giant, pointless waste of time. (laughs) Conflict gives your audience a reason to care, a reason to lean in and listen. Absence of a clearly defined conflict is one of the main wastes 
of meeting time or unnecessary phone calls or emails. It's why an audience is left wondering, what problem are we trying to solve? You also write, I guess, in a a way of saying not to worry, (laughs) but people not only don't find conflict that unpleasant, they actually crave it. Explain yeah. explain what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's a necessary ingredient. And if you watch any, you know, if any binge show you're watching or book that you've read, I mean, I just finished reading this amazing book by Michael Lewis called The Premonition. We'll talk about that later. But oh, um, the the conflict of that story, I mean, it, it really does give you a reason to lean in and care. The thing about it in business is a lot of us sometimes want to shy away from the conflict because we want to avoid, the, you know, the, just the tension and the uncomfort. But it's it's actually critical. It's actually necessary. And the conflict can build. It can escalate. You can have a series of conflicts that culminate to a larger one. But it's it's key, and I think getting it right is hard for a lot of us. We think we we think we know the conflict of what our customers care about or what our audience cares about, and that's why I always say like storytelling is very iterative and collaborative. I always like to vet my stories with colleagues to say, did I get this right? Am I clear on what the conflict is that we're trying to solve? And the conflict, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It changes depending on the narrative you're telling. All of these signposts change depending on your audience. And so it's very important that it's not just a standard one-size-fits-all conflict all the time because it may shift. It may change. Your audience's needs are going to change. But conflict is key. I can't stress it enough. And... Um, even in something like when you're delivering a program update or a product update, you know, maybe the program or the initiative is going swimmingly well, you got to search a little bit for the conflict. Otherwise, why are we meeting about it? Just send me a status update offline. I don't really need to meet about it. So it can be sometimes tricky to find conflict. And that's what we dig into in our training is how do you uncover the conflict and not do it in a way that's forced, but in a way that is relevant and forward thinking. That's right. You it, on the that surprised me. You said when you're providing an update on a project, you urge readers to look for conflict, even where, or especially where they think there might not be any. That was uh, that. Yeah, I was so surprised. that's actually a specific chapter. I wanted to call that one out because it's chapter eleven, providing an update. This is probably one of the biggest questions we get in our workshops because a lot of folks are spending a lot of time just delivering updates. It's the not sexy, not glamorous Mm -hmm. content. Mm -hmm. They're reporting the news, right? And often I'll have folks that say, you know, everything's going well. We're on time. We're on budget. I don't really have any bad news to report. Great. And there's kind of two paths you take when you are providing an update. You either have conflict or you don't. And if you do, well, congratulations, you can follow this path and use these four signposts. If you don't, we offer up suggestions. Fine, maybe keep it offline and we don't need a meeting about it, right? Send me an email or communicate in a, you know, a cloud-based project management tool to let us know the project's on, on, on track. Or dig a little deeper and uncover if there is conflict. Maybe you are on time and on budget, but but maybe you're hearing rumblings of resources on your team that are going to get pulled off. Well, if that happens, all of a sudden, this project over here is not going to be on time and on budget. So maybe there's some natural tension there that needs to get escalated in terms of, listen, we are on time and on track, but I can't afford to have my resources get uh, pulled away from this. So here's what I need, right? Mm. I mean, that's just an example of, I had to dig a little to find the conflict because I don't want to disrupt what is, yes, on on the surface, a project that might be going well. 
So that's a whole deeper dive, the whole update story. Oh, right. It's, it's and very one of many. nuanced. Yeah. Yes. There's, yeah. Uh, uh, do you find that people struggle the most with the conflict part? No, I think they struggle the most with having a big idea. And we haven't even talked mm, about that okay, yet. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so uh, the thing I loved, and I think all the salespeople listening are going to uh, like this, introducing conflict is a status quo killer. <laughs> the biggest yeah. competition for every salesperson, as you probably knew from your, your days at Yahoo, is, is status quo, no decision. Yeah. So yep. Yep. Um, brought to mind all those books about sales on the show about, you know, really you're selling change. So, <laughs> yeah, so let's go to exactly. the, the the fourth signpost, uh, resolution. So explain uh, what resolution is. And I think people may recognize this as what they tend to start with. Yeah. I mean, this one's pretty intuitive, right? This is typically, it's where you get to reveal your big recommendation, your solution. It's it's uh, sort of, we've made it through the conflict and you ha- now have the answer, right? You're going to make the world a better place. It's typically the bulkier part of a story in business, right? It's the meat and potatoes. You mm-hmm. might unveil a, a new opportunity, a plan, a new product and all that. Yeah. But a lot of us start there. Well, we're probably the, also more comfortable talking about that. Absolutely. Because we get to talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Of all the four signposts setting characters conflict resolution, resolution is comforting. I would say a lot of people do feel comfortable with conflict too. They tend to, whenever I ask, I say, where do you start typically a business story? They'll say conflict then resolution. And that's fair. I see that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but salespeople are notorious for jumping to the resolution because they're in a hurry. They want to be respectful of their prospect's time. I get that. But here's the thing. The first three signposts, the setting characters and conflict, collectively make up the why of your story, the mm-hmm. why your audience should care. So if you're missing them, when you get to the resolution, there's no, there's, there's no leaning in at that point. They don't really know why they should care about your big, amazing solution because you haven't given them a reason to care. So the, the flow and order matters. The first three must come first before resolution. They can go in any order. You the first three conflict. can go in any order. Yeah. Yeah. I have stories that I build that start with conflict. Woo. You know, wow. You're on the edge of your mm-hmm. seat already. And then we introduce setting and characters. And then we go to resolution. Well, resolution has to be... That Always last. last. Part. Okay, yeah. right. Um, it reminds me of a joke I heard in sales training years ago about the person that goes to the car dealership and the car salesman goes up to them and says, uh, hi, what brings you here? And they say, well, I'd like to buy a car. And the salesperson says, have I got the car for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's still uh, – pervasive out there. There's a great quote on page 44. In business communications, we are so quick to talk about ourselves, typically our solution product company, that we skip the whole part about building context. We forget to tell anyone why it matters. So, and you touched on um, this other, the other thing uh, about a helpful way to identify and prioritize your, your facts, data, ideas uh, is to make sure that Everything either brings a why or a what or a how to your story. Can you say just a little bit more about that? Yeah, we call it the why, what, how storytelling. And there's a chapter on it, um, chapter four. Yeah. So this is sort of another way to look at these four signposts. Because the four signposts are classic story pillars. We see them. They show up in every storybook or film you've watched. They're classic, right? They should be familiar to a lot of us. They're maybe not as familiar as we apply them in the business world. So we look at those building blocks and we layer on this why, what, how. So the why are those first three signposts. 
and in any order. They can be visual or verbal. They can be 30 seconds or 30 minutes. Then you move to the what. Your what is your big idea. And I'll explain that. And the final is the how, your resolution. Mm-hmm. So you have this why, what, how. Now, in order to understand the what, the big idea, you have to understand what's happening with conflict. When you introduce conflict, as you said, it's a status quo killer. It creates discomfort for your audience. It actually makes them mentally uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. Mm. Like you've done your job. Uh-huh. But they need some relief because they're not quite ready to, to, to roll into your resolution, which has a lot of detail, right? They need an instant relief. And that comes in the form of this big idea. We kind of refer to it as this mental bridge coming out of conflict. But before we're jumping into the details of resolution, we need this mental bridge. That's your big idea the one thing you want your audience to remember. And it's designed to be just as it's described, big. It, it's not the details. It's not the meat and potatoes. It's it's kind of like the trailer before the movie. You know, you don't get everything, but you get enough to settle down and say, yeah, I want to go see that movie. And so we, we really think of it as this inspiring, insightful, actionable preview of what's to come in your story. So it's a preview of the how. It's a preview of that resolution, but it is not the details of it. Mm. And I, we, you know, you asked me, what's the hardest part of storytelling for most people in business? Crafting their big idea. Because you have to be very clear on your conflict in order to capture your big idea. Yeah. you are addressing that conflict and then previewing the That the makes how. sense. I, I, I went back and reread the part on the big idea just after I'd read the book just to a better understand it. You're right. The big idea is a hint of what's to come in the resolution, which will be a series of strategies and tactics to build that relevance. So there's the three signs, setting, characters, conflict. And then the one over on the right is, uh, I'm trying to be visual here <laughs> on this audio-only podcast, over on the right is the resolution, but there's a little bridge that has to go from the first three over to that fourth one. And that's the the big idea. So yes. And just to add one more thing to that that I, I found really helpful from page 73 for those playing the home game. And you write, <laughs> uh, your big idea should address the conflict in your story. It should provide insight. It should be actionable. And it should focus completely on your audience. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, th- this is why, you know, when, when I get asked, what's the hardest thing? It, it's this big idea because this is not an opportunity to even mention your company or what you do. It's not about you. And there's examples all over this book. That's why we, what we said, it's there, it's, it's not an audio book because it is so visual. Mm-hmm. We are all about concepts and then we smother you in practicality because I don't know about you, but I just don't like listening to concepts unless I can see them in action. And so that's how we wrote this book. We introduced this concept and then forever after you see examples of big ideas in the context of business stories, whether they're emails, one pagers, presentations. So you'll, you'll see throughout the book, and I know you know this, but, but examples of big ideas. So Yeah, and, and um, what also I liked, just to interject, just to interrupt yeah. you about your own book, uh, is the way that you all carried many of the same case studies or examples all the way through the book. Yes. So I, I, I learned about a particular, like an airline or yeah. one of these other companies, and then you kept bringing it back over and over, and it, was, it made it much easier for me. 
Thank you. You know, this was all intentional and all of the stories, the case studies that show up are fictitious. So a lot of my job is spent with my team literally creating these stories that are based off reality, but not real because they we would have confidentiality issues with mm-hmm. our big Fortune 500 customers. So we basically take this content and transform it fictitiously, but it feels and sounds and looks real because this is how we all are showing up. But yes, so those examples in the book really do carry through so that you can see, oh, this is how the email of that same story would show up, or here's the email after that meeting, or here's what happens if you have to tell that same story with a team of people. Now what do you do? How do, Who does what? So I'm so glad you noticed that, Douglas. Well, Thank also, you. Also, the pacing was easier for a visual learner. I guess we're all visual learners. There's a lot of, there's 270-something pages, but it's not uh, dense with copy because there's so many things you have to to show here. It just, it made it so much easier. So thanks for that. Thank thanks for, for Wiley for letting you do it the way you. <laughs> they were really cool about giving us carte blanche. I have to say, they were like, you are the experts, do what you need to do. But you know, I really both lead I, when we sat down to write this and, and, and dream it up, we said, people are busy. Nobody wants to read a book cover to cover these days, especially not a book around storytelling when you need to pick this book up when you need it, right? If you're sitting down to write that update or you've got to build a one pager or now you thought you had 30 minutes with an executive and oh crap, you got five minutes. Like, what do you do? This book is designed to sort of be a grab and go in the moment of learning a need, not let me sit down and read the whole thing cover to cover. I mean, you certainly can. Uh, but we had that in mind, and so even just something as simple as the headlines, you've been reading a few of them. Yes. They're, that's... they're totally by design. It's its so that you can scan it, both visually and as you read it, to say, okay, got it, got it, and move on. Yeah. Well, speaking of headlines, you have a chapter on active headlines. Okay. Yeah. Now, we all use headings, and honestly, when I read this chapter, I was kind of wincing because, man, have I been guilty of what you all showed here, but never again. Yeah. But you, you, we all use headings on, a let's say, a, a slide, okay? Yeah. What's the difference between a heading and an active headline? Yeah, so a heading is passive. You know, you might see a heading uh, in a slide deck, for example, that just says update, or about us, or, you know, just they're very, very vague, and they make your audience work really hard. Revenues is another one, or, you know, timeline, (laughs) next steps. And they make so much sense to the storyteller, because then you would, like, verbally provide more detail. But what we have found, Douglas, is that a lot of us are not always there in person or virtually to tell our story. I mean, how often are we asked, my boss just needs a few slides to present up the chain, right? Or I just need you to jot this down, send it on my behalf so I can communicate it. Like, we're not always there to tell our own stories. So our slides, our emails, our one-pagers, our handouts, they do need to live and have a life of their own, regardless of who's there to tell the story. So when you craft a headline, you actually make it easier for your audience to quickly understand what do you want them to know or do. And it is going to be lengthier. 
this isn't a game about brevity. This is not a competition for brevity. I, mm-hmm. I understand people love less is more, so do I. But when you have a heading that says update, I have no idea what that means. And I've now got to work hard to read it and to dig into your world. And it's like you're the 15th meeting of my day. I'm kind of tuning out. So it's a simple activity. And the book goes through it. We show lots of examples. And in our workshops, we this is what we practice. People literally are rewriting their headlines. And it's it's game-changing because you know, we're not even talking about visuals yet. We're just talking about the headlines that create the narrative flow in and out of those signposts. Yeah. It's like, how do you get from setting to characters? How do you go from characters to conflict? How do I get from conflict to big idea? That's all woven together through the power of headlines. Mm. Well, usually when I'm presenting, everyone's looking at their phone playing Candy Crush, and I just (laughs) saw this chapter, and I thought, wow, this might actually help me to get them to pay attention to me for a minute. I just got to read on page 68. You mentioned several of these, like a heading. Now, listen, I want to read the heading, and then I want to read what a headline could be, okay? So first the heading, then the headline. So one of them is revenues, you mentioned. So instead of putting revenues on the slide, you put revenues skyrocket over three years after cloud launch like a, a newspaper headline, or update. Right. So instead of saying update, you put Project X on track for Q4, go live, timeline. So it says timeline. Otherwise, you could put, we expect rollout to occur in three phases. <laughs> Get to the point. Consumer behavior. So instead, you could put, most consumers buy or switch mobile devices during the holidays. Uh, and then implementation timeline. Trends show Three to six month implementation timeline is accurate. It, it's it may sound simple, it looks simple, but it, it really is dramatic, and it got me excited because I could, you know, I, even I could do that. So you uh, you also have a chapter on um, the importance of and how to visualize your your story. Yeah. Um, so explain or remind us why visuals help us remember things uh, by yeah. order of magnitude and. Why do the best laid plans for visuals <laughs> go terribly wrong? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, I think we are all sort of innate visual thinkers. Now more than ever, we're living in a visual world, especially with social media, right? I mean, Instagram is so popular because it's it requires visuals, right? You, you don't get away with just writing text. Um, I think we're also always on and busy and information overload. So visuals are a great way to break it down, to help you net it out, and to help your audience kind of quickly scan what you need them to know or do. And so, you know, you have to understand all of these ingredients on their own are delicious, but when you build the recipe, they're like scrumptious, right? Like a great headline is wonderful. You pair it with a really powerful visual, bang, you know, it's amazing. You got that headline, you've got the visual, and and it, it just, I see this over time. People don't have to work so hard when they're delivering information, when they're presenting or they're communicating. The pressure is off because the hard work has been done offline. The heavy lifting, so to speak, the narrative building has happened. It's not happening in front of your audience. It's happened beforehand. So when we talk about visuals, I think where things go wrong, Douglas, is when we start with visuals. Mm. Right. We open PowerPoint or Google Slides, whatever format, keynote, whatever you use. We go, okay, let me start with the visuals. Let me grab the last deck that I built. Like I described earlier. Yeah. Yeah, Because we're leveraging. We're in a hurry. Uh And at the end of the day, we're focused on the end result, which is I know I need a deck. And we completely 
falls short of the narrative we're trying to tell. We forget. What is the story here? So I think that's always the biggest no-no in my book is I can't even talk about visuals until I know your story. And once we know the narrative, once we're clear on those signposts, do you have a clear why, what, how? Then we can have fun. Then let's go dream up the visuals. And by the way, it's actually easier because then you know what you're building for. You know what you're looking for. Yes, yes. And, and, and throughout the book, so the listener knows, there's a lot of examples of these fictional like presentations or whatever, one-pagers. And then you, then you show how it could be made so much better. And it really was dramatic, night and day, once you understand these signposts that we talk about. So in our remaining time, I just want the listener to understand that we're, we're not just in your book, you're not just talking about presentation decks, okay? We're, yeah. This has to do with how storytelling can show up in you know, everyday business, like making a recommendation or, like you said, providing an update. Uh, crafting an email or or doing a one-pager that you sometimes uh, get asked for. But once a reader understands the signposts and the things that we've discussed, it is remarkable how flexible that approach is. And that's why you've got a whole part five, which I think is called, yeah, how do I flex my story? And that's where, and we won't go into all these, but it, it talks about every scenario I've been in where they say, uh, like, Okay, let's say you're in a situation where you know, you've only got five minutes with an executive. <laughs> what do you What do you do? What, how do you do it? Or uh, it'll say you a variety and a diverse audience, like you know, a, a buying committee. Maybe how how can I please everyone? And another one I've been in where you you say I, you can only have three to five slides, <laughs> and yep. so all that is covered. And also, how to present as a team. Ooh, that one hurt when I was watching that, <laughs> but now I know how yep. to do it right. And and also yep. the virtual presentations. And uh, you know, I've had a book on the show about virtual presentations by uh, David Merriman Scott, and he talked about some of the th- same things you did, which is that uh, when you're doing a virtual presentation, you have to be, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but you have to be much more intentional about what you want people to do to interact with you, like show yeah. a picture of yeah. the chat pane. got to choreograph it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but before you go into all of those chapters, you have a... I guess you could call it a mini manifesto about the audience (laughs) that I would like to quote from on page uh, 194. You write, the best storytellers step outside their world and walk in their audience's shoes. When you approach your story or any presentation of ideas, think about who your audience is and what is their mindset. Ask these three questions. What's happening in their world? Who or what matters to them? What challenges are they facing? Because no matter what you believe is a fantastic story, your audience will more likely be riveted by the story if it's about them. And given that you are hoping to move, change, or inspire them, theirs is the opinion that matters. You must give them what they need. It's not about you. It's always (laughs) about your audience. So, Besides those three questions, what are some things that people could do to better understand their audiences and or, as you say, what are some ways to dig for dirt on them? Yeah, well, I mean, at, at, at the basic level, talk to your audience, right? Interview them, talk mm-hmm. to them, talk to others that have talked to them. Um, I think we never want to just assume, right? Because audiences needs change. And that's why I always say it's, it's never a one-size-fits-all, when it comes to storytelling. So do your homework, do your research. And there's nothing more flattering, I find, especially with a key executive, if you ask them, listen, I want to be ready for next next week's meeting with your leadership team. 
tell me about your audience. What's going on? What do you guys care about? And it's like a pre-meeting. Talk about building career presence, you know, an executive presence, because that shows that you are really invested and that you care and that you want to make a story that is relevant to them. So I think doing your homework, doing your research and not assuming and not resting on your laurels either, right? Not assuming that the need or challenge that your audience was facing a year ago is the same one today, right? Always checking in. I think that's key. Yeah, this is a big deal. Uh, People always think, can't I just sit down and write this four signpost? Nope. It starts with walking in your audience's shoes Mm -hmm. and really doing a deep dive on who they are, what's going on, what do they care about, what's keeping them up at night, because that's the the gold. (laughs) That's where you get all these juicy insights to to really flush out your story. It's, it's critical work. It's not the most exciting work because I know a lot of us want to jump to the deck, mm-hmm. jump to the visuals. But if you do your audience analysis, it, it really does make a difference. Well, it also seems like they would then become even subconsciously invested in your presentation. Bingo. Yeah, you've just built an ally. Yeah. yeah. You, it, and it actually changes the game because it creates more of a two-way dialogue than a one-way monologue. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what we all want to be doing? A lot of people will say, I'm so nervous about presenting. I hate, oh, Janine, you always make it look so easy. No, I don't. I do my homework. I know who my audience is. And I actually seek out a two-way dialogue. Mm. Because now we're having a conversation. Now you're coming to the table as well with insights. It's not just about me and what I think I need to communicate. It's this conversation. And I mean, that's what storytelling is, right? It's going back to that building of trust and community and connection. We can all be doing that if we just build stories and use story structure to organize the flow of our ideas and data. You know, it's so funny in the over 300 books that have been on the show, the thing that comes up over and over for success for a business is go talk to your customers. (laughs) And yet no one's, it seems to be a real struggle just to go talk to them, try to find out where the friction is in their life, find out what's what's going on. It's just, this is yet another example uh, of that. There was another thing in this chapter that I, was a great reminder. You said, executives are there to approve. Mm-hmm. Managers can help influence, and individual contributors make it happen. And this also dovetails very nicely with presenting to different kinds of people yeah. uh, in an audience. But also, again, uh, w- when I read this part, it reminded me of presentations back in more when I was in advertising and maybe it was to like a government to, you know, RFP and you would have never been allowed to have any contact <laughs> before you could come in and make a presentation. Yeah. It's just, you don't do that anymore, but it was, it, it was painful. So just go talk to these folks. So yeah. Janine, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? That storytelling is a skill and like any good skill you want to get good at, you have to practice. Great Mm -hmm. storytelling happens when you take that skill and you practice every day because you only get better at this the more you put it into practice. And that's why we wrote the book. Mm. So what you're saying is it's okay if we're not perfect the first time we... You're not going to be perfect the first time. And guess what? <laughs> well, I know it's that. It's not about perfect. Actually, I, I, I really think this is an important point. Storytelling is very iterative. I find it actually gets better the more you iterate and collaborate. Mm-hmm. That's why, for me, the best stories are not, not told or developed in a bubble by yourself in a siloed box. Like I actually think my best stories have come out because I have a seed of an idea, and I start riffing with clients or, or, or my team, and now it becomes additive 
innovative and they, they, they bring different perspectives. So it's not about perfection. It's about iteration and collaboration. Mm, that is great. Well, what's uh, one thing a listener could do today just to get that big boulder rolling down the hill to, to put in action uh, an idea from the book or, or maybe we've, one we've talked about today? Story first, visual second. Mm. Story first, visual second. So don't open up PowerPoint when it's when you're first starting on a presentation. Yes. Stay true to your narrative. Stay true to those signposts. Yes. And then work backwards. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with opening that last deck that you built because, you know, you want that quick fix. But, but instead of trying to build it, I want you to mark it up, print it out or put boxes electronically on your slides. Or you could do this for an email or a one pager, whatever it does. It, it can even be a verbal script that you're working on mm-hmm. and, and, and test yourself. Do you have a setting and character? Do you have conflict? Do you have a big idea? Chances are you don't. And does the resolution come where it should or does it come too early? Have we given the audience a reason to care? Even just that as an exercise is really mind-blowing because you start to now create a new vocabulary with your teams, with your clients, with your, you know, whoever you're working with. It's this, this language of story. And instead of focusing on, well, do we like that color of that chart? And yes. I really loved this animation you did last week, Douglas, but oh, that doesn't matter. Right. But instead it's Douglas, I'm, I'm struggling with my big idea. Can, can we iterate on that? Can, can, can I get your reaction? Do you think I'm addressing the conflict of the story? So I, I think just changing that mindset shift of story first, let's talk about that first and develop that culture of storytelling. And then we can have fun with the visuals. The visuals are the backup dancer. The story is the, the lead, the lead singer. Yes. Yes. You know, what occurred to me as I was reading the book was, the idea of trying to do these things just verbally. Uh, uh-huh. do, do you ever do that with people you're trying to train or just to get them to, to think about those rather than jump to the visuals? Absolutely. In fact, one of the exercises that we do when we, when we deliver our storytelling training workshops is we have the learners in the cohort read their headlines out loud because we're trying to listen for flow. Because the best headlines, it's like a, the baton in a race, right? You're passing the baton from one signpost to the next. So whenever I get ready to put together a story, and by story, it could be a presentation, slides, or even just a verbal speech, I just start with the basics of the signpost. Like, grab sticky notes. It doesn't matter. Yes. What. Like, you just need to get this out of your head. When I'm on the go, I will often voice record on my phone because I just want to get it out. I'd say, okay, well, the setting of my story is, and the characters are, and here's the conflict. And if you talk it out, chances are that narrative flow is going to naturally occur. But if you open the presentation deck and you focus on the visuals, guarantee you will get kind of caught up in a like yeah. it'll be like this screeching halt because nothing flows that way, right? That's not how our brains work when we stare at slides. Mm-hmm. It, that narrative flow comes when you stay true to that the the, the signposts and and um, creating that flow. Oh, such great advice. Well, what books have most inspired your working career? I love. It's called the Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stenier. And this book, it's a oh, small that was, uh, book. You but, mentioned that in the book, didn't yeah. you, at the end. I love, I love this book. It's small. It's like so handy. You can throw it in your bag. It made a big difference to how 
my team and myself included show up as leaders, managers, coaches, even parents. It, I fall prey to something Michael talks about in his book called The Advice Trap, where people will come to me and say, oh, Janine, I have this problem. What do you think? And so I sort of naturally jumped to the resolution, right? It's like, oh, well, I have all this advice. Let me give it to you. And I love how Michael's book really arms you with just a very simple approach, simple set of questions to slow down, frankly, shut up, you know, and like <laughs> let those around you discover for themselves what they need to do versus jump in with advice. So it's really taught me to be a better listener, a better coach. And it's it's a method that I apply not just with our teams, but also with our customers because we're coaching them through their own stories. Mm. And I should mention that the sixth part of the book is all about building a common language of storytelling, like a culture of storytelling within an organization, which we didn't really have time to to go into. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? I just oh, you mentioned Premonition. Uh, yes. <laughs> Michael Lewis's Lewis. The Premonition. Have you read this? No, but I have Amazon open here and there was an ad for it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a bestseller, of course. I mean, he's kind of brilliant, right? Yeah. His character development. So it's very timely. I couldn't put this book down and he, I won't give it away, but he follows a group of medical experts that have been studying and warning for years that something like COVID was going to happen. And so it, it it sort of takes you back 15 years ago to what they were doing, what they were seeing, and it's riveting. And the characters are fascinating. They're unexpected. They're very memorable. And he has a big idea. And his big idea is no one's coming to save you. Oh, not the government, wow. not the CDC. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. You, you have to read it. You have to read it. I won't give too much away, but that one was a, was a page turner. And he's the author of Moneyball and yep. Liar's Poker. I remember reading that years ago. Yeah, he has a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That looks terrific. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, uh, including the books you mentioned, your site, your LinkedIn profile, and Janine Kernoff. How can people win a copy of this book? Yes. So they can find us on social. So there's a lot of ways to find us. You can go to the presentation. Well, presentation-company.com is one way. You can also go to our book website, which is everydaybusinessstorytelling.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find our company on LinkedIn, the presentation company. So uh, we're not shy on on social. We put, and Twitter and Facebook, like we're on all the channels and we put out a lot of free stuff. So if you if you find us on social, let us know that you listen to this conversation here and uh, we'll draw a winner for a free book. Signed Excellent. free book, I might add. Oh, so, wow. you know, pretty coveted, both authors, both sisters, you know, with love notes all over it. I promise. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know, you probably collect Portland Trailblazers autographed memorabilia. <laughs> I collect autographed marketing and sales books and your publicist, uh, was nice enough to send me a copy of this one. I might send this to you all with a postage page envelope just to get you to autograph it. Oh, 100%. I can't believe you didn't get a signed copy, Douglas. We'll make sure that happens. Well, because then actually if I get another one, no, I don't don't want to cause more work for you, but then you're also going to see what I marked up in the book. Um, (laughs) We can afford to send you a fresh copy. Done. It's not a problem. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, uh, folks, uh, listeners, if you could just do me a big favor – uh, now you have an incentive. Please reach out 
to Janine and thank her for being on the Marketing Group Podcast. Just mention that you uh, heard her here. The authors just love hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners. They love answering questions. They've worked. I mean, you all have worked on this book for at least 20 years, <laughs> probably Amen. even more. Yeah. And, uh, uh, just please, please do that. Please reach out to them and uh, and thank them. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast and your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote, storytelling is career gold. In every company we've ever worked with, we've seen how storytelling is an essential ingredient in building mastery of ideas, audience connection, and the power skill everyone wants, executive presence. Whether you're making a recommendation to your boss's boss, providing a product update, or managing difficult questions from a prospective customers, knowing how to build on a story framework humanizes your content, creates a two-way dialogue, and lets you meet your audience's needs in the moment. Storytelling will help you confidently lead conversations, giving both you and your audience a guideline to where the narrative is going and where it's been. It's amazing how much this prevents both confusion and boredom. (laughs) We wrote this book because we believe down to our core that with some simple guidance and tools, everyone can be a great business storyteller. You can be a great business storyteller. Come with us. The book is Everyday Business Storytelling, Create, Simplify, and Adapt a Visual Narrative for Any Audience. The authors are Janine Kernoff and Lee Lazarus. Janine, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. I had a blast, Douglas. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. 